0: Welcome to the Tory Podcast Tales from Near and Far. Read to you by Protum Data. A Child's History of England by Charles Dickens. Read to you by Protem Data. Chapter ten. England under Henry I called Fine Scholar. Just a quick recap. William the Conqueror, William the Norman. The Norman King, who took over England, fought in the very famous Battle of Hastings against the Anglo-Saxon King Harold Godwinson, and then started the Norman Conquest of England. Now he had three sons. The first, of course, was William the Red King, also called Rufus. The second was Robert, who became a crusader, and then the third, in French as they called him, or the Norman language as they called him, Bookleik of Fine Scholar. The story goes that William the Red King, while in the New Forest, went hunting with Walter Tyrrell and was killed by an arrow. Of course, Walter Tyrrell fled. And told everybody, Well, you know, really don't know what happened. The king asked me to shoot a stag. I shot an arrow, it bounced off a tree and must have hurt him and killed him. That's all we know. On the other hand, remember Beauclerc, the fine scholar. He was besieged by his brothers in Saint Michel, Normandy, and then he had to leave, sort of penniless. It's time for him to return. Fine scholar, on hearing of the Red King's death, hurried to Winchester with as much speed as Rufus himself had made to seize the royal treasure. But the keeper of the treasure, who had been one of the hunting party in the forest, made haste to Winchester too, and, arriving there at about the same time, refused to yield it up. Upon this fine scholar drew his sword and threatened to kill the treasurer who might have paid for his fidelity with his life but that he knew longer resistance to be useless when he found the prince supported by a company of powerful barons who declared they were determined to make him king. The treasurer therefore gave up the money and jewels of the crown and on the third day after the death of the Red King, being a Sunday, fine scholar stood before the high altar in Westminster Abbey and made a solemn declaration that he would resign the church property which his brother had seized, that he would do no wrong to the nobles, and that he would restore to the people the laws of Edward the Confessor, with all the improvements of William the Conqueror. So began the reign of King Henry the First. The people were attached to their new king, both because he had known distresses and because he was an Englishman by birth and not a Norman. To strengthen this last hold upon them, the king wished to marry an English lady and could think of no other wife than Maud the Good, the daughter of the King of Scotland. Although this good princess did not love the king, she was so affected by the representation the nobles made to her of the great charity it would be in her to unite the Norman and Saxon races, and prevent hatred and bloodshed between them for the future, that she consented to become his wife. After some disputing among the priests, who said that as she had been in a convent in her youth, she had worn the veil of a nun she could not lawfully be married, against which the princess stated that her aunt, with whom she had lived in her youth, had indeed sometimes thrown a piece of black stuff over her, but for no other reason than because the nun's veil was the only dress that conquering Normans respected in girl or woman, and not because she had taken the vows of a nun, which she never had. She was declared free to marry and was made King Henry's Queen. A good queen she was, beautiful, kind-hearted and worthy of being a better husband than the King. For he was a cunning and unscrupulous man, though firm and clever. He cared very little for his word and took any means to gain his ends. All this is shown in his treatment of his brother Robert. Robert who had suffered him to be refreshed with water and who had sent him the wine from his own table when he was shut up with the crows flying below him parched with thirst in the castle on the top of St Michael's Mount where his red brother would have let him die. Before the king began to deal with Robert, he removed and disgraced all the favourites of the late king, who were for the most part base characters much detested by the people. Flambard or Firebrands, whom the late king had made the Bishop of Durham, of all things in the world, Henry imprisoned in the tower. But Firebrand was a great joker and a jolly companion and made himself so popular with his guards that they pretended to know nothing about a long robe that was sent into his prison at the bottom of a deep flagon of wine. The guards took the wine and Firebrand took the rope with which, when they were fast asleep, he let himself down from a window in the night and so got cleverly aboard ship and away to Normandy. Now Robert, when his brother Fine Scholar came to the throne, was still absent in the Holy Land. Henry pretended that Robert had been made sovereign of that country, and he had been away so long that the ignorant people believed it. But behold, when Henry had been some time King of England, Robert came home to Normandy having leisurely returned from Jerusalem through Italy, in which beautiful country he had enjoyed himself very much, and had married a lady as beautiful as itself. In Normandy he found a Firebrand waiting to urge him to assert his claim to the English crown and declare war against King Henry. This After great loss of time in feasting and dancing with his beautiful Italian wife among his Norman friends, he at last did. The English, in general, were on King Henry's side, though many of the Normans were on Robert's. But the English sailors deserted the King and took a great part of the English fleet over to Normandy so that Robert came to invade this country in no foreign vessels, but in English ships. The virtuous Anselm, however, whom Henry had invited back from abroad, and made Archbishop of Canterbury, was steadfast in the king's cause, and it was so well supported that the two armies, instead of fighting, made a peace. Poor Robert, who trusted anybody and everybody, readily trusted his brother the king, and agreed to go home and receive a pension from England on condition that all his followers were fully pardoned. This the king very faithfully promised. But Robert was no sooner gone than he began to punish them. Among them was the Earl of Shrewsbury, who, on being summoned by the king to answer to five-and-forty accusations, rode away to one of his strong castles, shut himself up therein, called around him his tenants and vassals, and fought for his liberty, but was defeated and banished. Robert, with all his faults, was so true to his word, that when he first heard of this noble man having risen against his brother, he laid waste the Earl of Shrewsbury estates in Normandy to show the King that he would favour no breach of their treaty. Finding on better information afterwards that the Earl's only crime was having been his friend, he came over to England in his old, thoughtless, warm-hearted way to intercede with the King and remind him of the solemn promise to pardon all his followers. This confidence might have put the false king to the blush, but it did not. Pretending to be very friendly, he so surrounded his brother with spies and traps that Robert, who was quiet in his power, had nothing for it but to renounce his pension and escape while he could. Getting home to Normandy and understanding the king better now, He naturally allied himself with his old friend, the Earl of Shrewsbury, who still had 30 castles in that country. This is exactly what Henry wanted. He immediately declared that Robert had broken the treaty and next year invaded Normandy. He pretended that he came to deliver the Normans, at their own request, from his brother's misrule. There is reason to fear that his misrule was bad enough, for his beautiful wife had died, leaving him with an infant son. And his court was again so careless, dissipated and ill-regulated, that it was said he sometimes lay in bed of a day for want of clothes to put on his attendants having stolen all his stresses. But he headed his army like a brave prince and a gallant soldier, though he had the misfortune to be taken prisoner by King Henry with 400 of his knights. Among them was poor, harmless Edgar Atheling, who loved Robert well. Edgar was not important enough to be severe with, The king afterwards gave him a small pension which he lived upon and died upon in peace among the quiet woods and fields of England. And Robert? Poor, kind, generous, wasteful, heedless Robert, with so many faults and yet with virtues that might have made a better and a happier man. What was the end of him? If the king had the magnanimity to say with a kind air, brother, tell me before these noblemen that from this time you will be my faithful follower and friend and never raise your hand against me or my forces more. He might have trusted Robert to the death. But the king was not a magnanimous man. He sentenced his brother to be confined for life in one of the royal castles. In the beginning of his imprisonment, he was allowed to ride out, guarded. But he, one day, broke away from his guard and galloped off. He had the evil fortune to ride into a swamp, where his horse struck fast and he was taken. When the king heard of it, he ordered him to be blinded, which was done by putting a red-hot metal basin on his eyes. And so, in darkness and prison, many years he thought of all his past life, of the times he had wasted, of the treasure he had squandered, of the opportunities he had lost, of the youth he had thrown away, of the talents he had neglected. Sometimes, on fine autumn mornings, he would sit and think of the old hunting parties in the free forest where he had been the foremost and the gayest. Sometimes, in the still nights, he would wake and mourn for the many nights that had stolen past him at the gaming table. Sometimes, would seem to hear upon the melancholy winds. The old songs of the minstrels sometimes would dream in his blindness of the light and glitter of the Norman court. Many and many a time he groped back in his fancy to Jerusalem, where he had fought so well, or at the head of his brave companions bowed his feathered helmet to the shouts of welcoming greeting him in Italy and seemed again to walk among the sunny vineyards or on the shore of the blue sea with his lovely wife. And then, thinking of her grave and of his fatherless boy, he would stretch out his solitary arms and weep. At length, one day, there lay in prison, dead, with cruel and disfiguring scars upon his eyelids, bandaged from his jailer's side, but on which the eternal heavens looked down, a worn old man of eighty. He had once been Robert of Normandy. Pity him. At the time when Robert of Normandy was taken prisoner by his brother, Robert's little son was only five years old. This child was taken too and carried before the king, sobbing and crying, for, young as he was, he knew that he had good reason to be afraid of his royal uncle. The king was not much accustomed to pity those who were in his power, but his cold heart seemed for the moment to soften towards the boy. He was observed to make a great effort as if to prevent himself from being cruel, and ordered the child to be taken away. Whereupon a certain baron, who had married a daughter of Duke Roberts, by name, Healy of saint Seine, took charge of him tenderly. The king's gentleness did not last long. Before two years were over, He sent messengers to this lord's castle to seize the child and bring him away. The baron was not there at the time, but his servants were faithful and carried the boy off in his sleep and hid him. When the baron came home and was told what the king had done, he took the child abroad and, leading him by the hand, went from king to king and from court to court, Relating how the child had a claim to the throne of England, and how his uncle the king, knowing that he had a claim, would have murdered him, perhaps, but for his escape. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed it, please comment and please like it and subscribe. Please do let me know if there are certain tales from whichever part of the world you might be in that you would like me to read. Thank you.